You're listening to the Spreaker Live Show, episode 181 for February 20th, 2019. Thank you so much for joining us today. We talk about podcasting and live audio on this show, and it's the goal of this show to help you get better at being a podcaster or a live show host. And my name is Rob Greenlee, and I'm the Vice President of Podcaster Relations at uh, VoxNest that operates Spreaker. This is the official podcast of the Spreaker platform, and thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, we stream this live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern from SpreakerLiveShow.com. And I'm joined again by my co-host, Mr. Alex Exum, who's the host of the Live Talk and Exum Experience podcast on Spreaker. Welcome back, Alex. Thanks for having me, Rob. As always, glad to be here. Excited well, to the it's show great, to, great to have you calling in from Southern California. It's always uh, amazing that we can produce this show from uh, thousands of miles away from each other or a thousand miles away from each other. It's awesome. And it, I'm sure it's both gloomy there and gloomy here because it's overcast here in Long Beach by the it's, beach. It's nasty. It's sunny, blue skies, and, ah, and cold. It's cold up here, though. That's that's it, the big yeah, difference, right? So It's been cold. Actually, it's been cold. It's yeah. been I've been waking up and not wanting to get out of bed, but that's yeah. a whole other issue. This week on the show, we're going to talk about some exciting news coming out of Spreaker. We we now have a mobile audio editing capability in the Spreaker Studio for iOS. We announced that, and I have a terrific conversation that I had with uh, Francesco Bascheri, who's the president and co-founder of VoxNest that operates uh, Spreaker, and he's going to going to join us later in the show, and we're going to discuss the technology and opportunity of dynamic ad insertion and kind of all the, the details on the creative side as well as the technology side and how it's going to evolve over the next few years. And this should be a pretty uh, timely and hot topic for any podcaster that's uh, using the Spreaker platform because uh, we're going to be hopefully kind of leading some efforts around this area. I wanted to play a little clip from the interview so you get an idea of what we uh, talk about in, in the show. So I'm going to play that right now. People keep confusing dynamic ad insertion as a pure technology with uh, what other people are doing with it, uh, mm -hmm. which, which, which is kind of weird because at the end of the day, dynamic ad insertion is a great technology and most of the companies in podcasting are already using it even though podcasters or, or listeners may not figure it. So to make it simple, dynamic ad insertion is just the ability to, to create a, a file which is composed of different stitched parts. Uh, so instead of having a file that's uh, created that at the beginning of time and always served equal, basically a new file can be created on the fly whenever somebody wants to download it by stitching together different segments to create a, a file that is unique to the, to the listeners consuming it. Well, Alex, the, it's, it's going to be a, an interesting conversation with uh, Francesco. We're going to get a little geeky on the whole dynamic ad insertion stuff, but it's going to be a, an enlightening conversation, I think, as you look to the future of monetizing podcasts on a much larger scale. And I think the opportunity is, is bright for that. And uh, VoxNest and Spreaker are are going to do what we can to kind of kind of lead the charge on that, Alex. So that's what's coming up later in the show. Um, Alex, yeah, I look forward to that, on uh, that? interview. What's it, what's oh, that? Yeah, I just just going to say I look forward to that interview. It's always uh, interesting to hear what uh, uh, El Jefe Francesco has to say. You know what I mean? And, and I think the listeners appreciate that too. I appreciate it to hear what's going on behind the scenes and kind of get that uh, – I guess higher level perspective, right? Because we're usually talking about, you know, not just beginning pod, pod, podcasters, but intermediate, whatever. But he's kind of talking like podcasting 
industry kind of perspective. So I think yeah, that's, that and that's and what the opportunity um, could be if we start if we make some changes to uh, what we're doing with the creative side of of um, advertising as it relates to the technology of uh, of dynamic ad insertion. As you could tell from that that clip that I played. Um, that there's some changes in perception that are needed and changes in some ad creative that are, are needed for us to a- achieve the opportunity that I think all of us as podcasters have of um, earning additional uh, revenue and income from the work that we do to produce these shows every week. Also, we've got a couple of other segments coming up, uh, the podcast review of the week. Um, we're going to be looking at a show called Top Story Tonight. It's a terrific podcast that I'll play a sample of a little bit later in the show. And then our featured promo of the week is the NAB Show uh, podcast, which is a fairly new podcast on the Spreaker platform that's part of the National Association of Broadcasters trade show down in Las Vegas uh, coming up here in April. It's about 100 plus thousand people attend this uh, this show. I think it's like the third largest trade show in the country so it's it's a it's a big event and uh, those guys are hosting their podcast on our platform and if you want to send us your audio promo you can certainly send it to me send it to rob at spreaker.com just an mp3 of 30 seconds or so of uh, of your show and hard sell it so hopefully you can get a few new listeners so and then uh, also i'll just quickly go through the podcasting and spreakers um, calendar of the week Alex, guess what? We're going to jump right into the content here. So let's uh, let's make that happen. All right. Well, um, Alex, uh, exciting news this week. We announced uh, mobile audio editing in the Spreaker Studio for iOS has been announced. I know you don't uh, use the Spreaker Studio for iOS to produce your show, but... What's your immediate reaction to us adding the ability to edit audio on a mobile device? What's your thought? Well, tell, could you tell the Spreaker team not to tease me like that? Because I, I think it was a tweet that I saw. I'm sure they put a blog post out as well. Yeah. But I saw it, and I immediately got all excited. Like, new feature, right? And then I saw, it's iOS. So, <laughs> no, you don't, all, you know you don't me, use I iOS, right? No, I don't have anything, not a phone, not a computer, anything. So I was like all excited and I, I went to go rush to download. And I was like, oh, it's only iOS, you know, the apps, the uh, I, Apple, uh, iTunes app store popped up. But so, yeah, I, I look forward to seeing what other um, iOS users think. I'm hoping it will come to Android soon. I don't know if you have any inside baseball on that, but I, I'd love to tinker around with it. I think that's fantastic. Um, yeah, have- so I mean, it, it does give you a little bit more power to either do a live show or to record uh, right on your mobile device, right on your iPhone or your iPad, and edit it right there and save it and publish it uh, right there. So you don't really um, have to to export it and pull it into another audio suite if you don't want to. I mean, obviously that's still going to be um, possible to do that. So. But to make it so it's all contained in one app is great. Like now you don't even have to, you know, I think sometimes when people are recording remotely and there's issues, they just go, well, I got to put it up because I just want to put it up. But if you could go back and edit a curse word, maybe or a pop or a whatever, that's great, man. I mean, I, you know, if you're, let's say you're at podcast movement or, you know, any the NAB show and you just want to do it right then and there, I think it's great. So that's my, I don't want to have to export it to my laptop to go to audacity or something else and, clean it up. So I think it's great. 
Yeah, so it's super easy to use. Uh, just after you've done your recording, uh, you can easily trim or shorten the length of the audio clip by tapping on the edit and accessing the trimmer mode that's in the um, iOS app. And that tool uh, lets you cut any extras at the beginning. Uh, like uh, someone is talking or there's silence at the beginning of your show, which is oftentimes the case with our recordings or whatever, is that there's usually some beginning part um, that maybe you want to remove for the on-demand part. And then also you can skip to the end and cut off any audio that's at the end of the of the show as well that you want to to remove from that. Um, so it's, it's a real simple tool. Um, but I think it's powerful for, for kind of cinching up, um, what you've, what you've recorded on your mobile device. So I'm excited about it. It's, it's something that I had thought about adding to the, the speaker studio, even on the desktop side for, for many years. And I would, I would love to see that happen. But as far as, um, it happening on Android, I think it's in the, the, the roadmap for us to do that. And I, I think that the bigger picture of here around Spreaker Studios, what we want to create is this kind of this ability to produce shows, do some editing into it, and then have it kind of like live in the cloud. And then when you get back home or whatever, you could pull that episode into, let's say, your desktop experience and do some um, other work on it, potentially, if you wanted to. Uh, just kind of bring these uh, Spreaker Studio apps kind of together to create a more seamless, you know, overall experience for those that want to be on mobile as well as the desktop experience. So I think that's kind of the, the long-term view of this. But there is a blog post about this that goes into much greater detail if you wanted to read more about it. Uh, it's also linked to from the show notes for this program. So, well, let's, let's move on, uh, Alex. And... I want to um, do a little bit of podcast review of a podcast called Top Story Tonight by Jane Wells, who's actually, she is a anchor uh, for CNBC uh, back in uh, back in New York and back in the New Jersey area. Um, so she's a journalist. She is doing a series that is very unique. It's a storytelling podcast that makes key events from the past or from history like the Bible and the Mayflower trip to the New World into like, it's like a news program that takes the history and makes it uh, like an evening news program. And there's a little dose of humor in there too. And it's very fascinating what she's done with this because it's very creative and very fun. But she takes this concept of the Bible and chapter one Genesis and turns it into a breaking news type of program, Alex. This is really kind of, something new and different and i wanted to uh play a clip from it so you could hear it but it's definitely a program that you might want to tune into and listen and it it would be very entertaining for you um, as they have our reporters going out there and kind of reporting on god and what god is doing in the bible so it's it's kind of a thing but i'll i'll play a little clip from that so you can hear it for yourself We live in an era of information overload. Tweets, snaps, HuffPo, Reddit, FaceFace. Nothing seemingly happens without everyone knowing about it immediately and then reacting with their own two cents. But the greatest stories ever told happened a long time ago, even before Google, before the Internet. So we wonder... 
What if those stories were told with the tools of today's media? How might the Bible have played out differently if Eve was Instagramming from the Garden of Eden? If storm chasers for the Weather Channel covered Noah's escape from the Great Flood, while the two-by-two kangaroos tweeted about unsanitary conditions aboard the Ark. What if Jacob's courting of Rachel was a reality TV show? With that in mind, we bring you Top Story Tonight, the Bible, and we begin in the beginning. Episode 1, Genesis. Testing, testing, is it? Is this working? You're live! Oh, uh, good evening. Top Story Tonight, we have light. Ooh, that's what light is. The lights came on toward the end of the day. The event capped a dramatic 24 hours, which began with the creation of the heavens and the earth. What on earth? Go to game. Go to game. Let's go live to the newsroom, where Gabriel has more details about these historic events. Gabe? Yes, we first got word of this breaking news through tweets from at God. Who? Someone called God or someone tweeting in God's name. In vain? Uh. Who is this God person? All we know at the moment is God has a Twitter account, but no blue check mark yet authenticating God as God. Well, Alex, this uh, series makes fun of, of God having a Twitter account. Um, so it's it's an interesting series. I don't know if you've had a chance to, to check this series out, Alex, but uh, it's it's definitely amazing. You should go give it a listen sometime. I'm, I just subscribed. I didn't know that it was Jane. I missed it in the show notes. I saw the top story tonight, but I didn't know it was Jane Wells. I'm familiar with her work as yeah. a journalist. She's great. So I just subscribed. She's very funny and yeah. she's kind of wild. She's got a very wild, flamboyant personality. So I definitely want to hear this podcast in full. I'm going to listen. I think they, I saw eight episodes on Spreaker. I just subscribed. I'm going to probably listen to them all depending on uh, how it goes. So and very interesting. You see, that's the kind of stuff. Just a great concept, right? Like a mod, like God with a Twitter account, like something modern day like that. I think is very, very cool. Let's just say cool. It's new, right? Nobody else is kind of doing something like that, so I'm I'm looking forward to that one. That yeah, and she she really invests a lot in um, bringing in voice talent too. It's not just her own voice. She, she's not doing mm-hmm. the whole show herself. She's she's actually paying to have voice actors come in and perform like a reporter role or those kind of things that were out in the field with a different voice and a different cadence. So it, it's really a, a true storytelling production. I wonder, is she producing this herself or does she yes. have a network behind her? Wow. No, no, she's nice. She's cool. doing it all, all herself. It's like Good for a her. side hobby project for her. I so. think she's on KFI occasionally here out in LA. Uh-huh. Um, and she's got a very, um, I like her voice. I just, she's got that, that accent. So I'm looking forward to this. I'm glad you meant this is new to me. So I'm glad you found this one, Rob. I don't know how you found it, but I'm glad. Well, I, yeah. I, I talked something- to Jane probably a couple months ago about her, oh, okay. her show here because, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a great example of a, of a kind of a comedy storytelling production. Um, just finally something new, man. Right. Finally, it's not another murder cast or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's, it's like- right. that's true. <laughs> That's certainly true. So anyway, moving on, um, the featured podcast show of the week uh, is the NEB Show podcast. And this is a podcast that's being being produced by a very large trade show that usually happens down in Las Vegas every April. Uh, it's the NEB Show. If you go to nebshow.com, 
Uh, it's the National Association of Broadcasters Conference down there. It's uh, like, like I said earlier in the program, it's it's a very large uh, kind of media tech show that's really starting to very much support podcasting. It's quite an event. Alex, if, I can't remember. Have you been to any of I haven't been, but I want to go. I, I know it's huge. And uh, I, I now that they're kind of embracing podcasting a little bit more, maybe I would because you know how I am. I get snotty when they look down on <laughs> podcasters in the radio industries and go, you know, jump in the lake. But now that they're being a little cooler about it, I, I would like to go. I just, I'm not an industry professional, right? They want people who have uh, radio station credentials, I think. I don't know if they still do. At one point, I think they did. But um, yeah. you could tell me. Are you going, Rob? Are you going to be Oh, there? yeah. Uh, uh, I've been going down there. This is probably, I think, my fourth or fifth year of going down there <laughs> representing Spreaker and and the, the company. We, we have a booth down there. There's a podcasting pavilion that's going to be on the show floor this year. Actually, it's, this is, I, I believe, this is the second year for it. So there's always a bunch so- of panels and... And, and podcasting is a very important subject down at the NAB show these days. So let me ask you, though, so as a guy who's been there multiple times, four times, a guy like me, w- w- would it be worthwhile for me to spend them? It's in Vegas, I think, isn't it? Usually every year, yeah. would it be? Mm-hmm. It's not right. that far. It's a $70, $80 flight, but I got to go to a hotel. I mean, would it be worthwhile for someone like me? I don't know. Uh, you know, do you have to? I don't know. Like, I don't, it's, it's not I don't either. I would go to yeah. their website and look around and see if there's um, content there that is of, 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 of interest. I, I think one of the things, it's a little bit like the Consumer Electronics Show from the standpoint of if you're uh, kind of a geek, gadget geek. Uh, I am. There's, there's really cool cameras and drones and and uh, So I can drool over a bunch of stuff I can't afford. That'll be Right. Fun. Well, that is true as well. Sure, sure. I mean, like all of the microphone companies will be there, and so you can play around with, you know, geek around with a bunch of microphones if you want to. There's a bunch of content sessions that are going on around podcasting and and radio and television. So would you meet radio? Like I I know I would meet probably uh, people who want to sell me. Uh, gear and equipment and things like show off their new their new wares. But right. would it be something where I would meet industry people, you know, pot, someone who might want to, you know, hire somebody, you know, someone who Possible. might want who's looking sure. for a radio personality or looking for a someone for their podcasting network. Hey, we're looking for new interesting podcasts. I would. I mean, I don't know. Would that be part I mean, it's of a it? possibility? Yeah. I mean, it's. I think as as the NEB kind of gets more involved in uh, podcasting um, and and supporting it from a from a uh, more organizational level, uh, I think it, it's attracting more people to the event that have an interest in in that medium because it is I'm kind of becoming kind of like a another medium that's being added to that has been traditionally been kind of TV, radio, and kind of kind of digital uh, content, right? Video mm-hmm. and things like that. Okay. Um, and now podcasting is being added to the. Uh, to the event in larger and larger ways every year. But I want to play a little bit of a, a clip from the, the NEB show podcast. So I'm going to play that right now. This podcast is produced by the national association of broadcasters and powered by Spreaker. Television, radio, film, and digital from pre to post. We're talking content creation on today's show. Get ready for what's new, what's next, and what's trending. AI. OTT. Esports. 5G. Podcasting. ATSC 3.0. Streaming. Digital dashboards. The cloud. 
This is the NAB Show Podcast. Where content comes to life. Every story starts here. Here is your host, Lori Schwartz. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the NAB Show Podcast. This is your host, Lori H. Schwartz, sometimes known as the Tech Cat. I am a happy curator of the NAB Show, and I also host my own show called The Tech Cat Show. And today's theme is all about content creation and the wealth of programming available for content creators at NAB Show 2019. Um, And really, NAB Show is the ultimate event for anyone in media, entertainment, and technology. Um, It's really the place to come to find out new and innovative ways to create, manage, deliver, and monetize content on any platform. Well, Alex, uh, the NAB Show podcast is, uh, I believe it's being updated every two weeks. So there's a, there's a couple of episodes in there now. It hasn't been operating for very long. I think it's only been around for about a month now. So if you have an interest in uh, following what's happening with the broadcasting space and the industry and as it's, as it's moving more towards supporting podcasting, it's a terrific podcast to keep up with um, as the, the event um, in in Las Vegas is coming up. Uh, it's on our events calendar on April sixth through the eleventh in uh, Las Vegas, and I will be there in um, in force, and so will the Spreaker team. There's going to be a couple of other of us down there. Then so we have a total of three people down there this year. But um, Alex, let's let's move on and talk a bit about a listener comment that uh, wrote in that uh, talks about you a little bit. Uh, he writes here, "My name is Ricky." from the five star wrestling show. And I'm a huge fan of the Spricker live show. And then he says it's helped him tremendously. I am also a huge fan of the, uh, of Alex Exum and read his articles all, all the time. Alex, do you want to take it from there and talk about your, the articles that he's talking about here? Yeah, sure. That's so nice to hear from somebody who actually read an article. That's one of the People out there that actually read it and maybe gave me a thumbs up. There's one or two. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Um, I wrote two articles, Rob. Wait, two? I think there's three out there, but one being top reasons to podcast live and uh, the other one, the biggest problem podcasters have and how to fix it. So as some people may or may not know, you and I are both writing for the Podcast Business Journal. Um, So it's great to know that they're getting traffic and people are actually reading the articles. Um, So and shout out to Ed Ryan for giving us that opportunity. But thank you for that. And he also said that. um, What did he say here? Uh, The Podcast Business Journal. You know, he's obviously reading it. He said it's insightful and straightforward. Mm -hmm. Um, But he had a question for us. And he said, are there any aspects, timing, concepts, equipment um, in the radio world that podcasters are not utilizing to help their show be more entertaining, engaging, or structured? That's a great question. Um, he said, sorry for the book. Thank you for the consideration. And then he put a link to the five-star wrestling show, which I'm sure you'll put in the show notes. Um, yes. Thanks, man. We, we appreciate that. Uh, Ricky, sorry, it was Ricky. Rob, you should probably answer that question. You're more of a radio guy. <laughs> Any tips from the radio world for well, I think that uh, this show is a little, little bit of an example of it, um, of of doing things on the live side. I, I think that's a, a, a fallout from the radio world. Um, doing your podcast live is is certainly some something that I would say is a crossover between uh, radio and podcasting that uh, I think more people could could do. I think that there's still a lot of people that don't feel as comfortable with the live part um, in producing a show as though it's live as well. 
Um, but I think it is a way to streamline your, your production. And I think it has the opportunity to make it more engaging um, or even more structured. I, I think, and that's part of what has happened with this show is um, it is a little bit more structured, but in some ways it's, it's just more um, broken up into, you know, established segments that people can kind of look forward to potentially if it's engaging. I would say that's the biggest one. Alex, is there anything that you're thinking about either is around, around equipment or concepts? You know, I, I hear a lot of um, podcasters now, Rob, that are using more and more professional equipment. They're using lifters and noise gates and things like that. Right. And that, I think, a lot of podcasters say, well, I don't sound like radio. You know what I mean? And they want to sound like radio. And I think people are getting more savvy with that. So that's one thing I would say. That's one of the tricks that radio does. One, I'll give you a real quick uh tip there, Ricky. If you have an EQ like I do, you can jack up the treble, right? And a little bit of the mid and a little bit of the bit. Usually they jack up the treble because it gives you this more rich sound. But if you can invest in things like that and there's software that will do it, um, I think that's a great tip for people. If they really want to sound like that, what's the right word, Rob? Just that like really crisp presence that you hear on radio and it doesn't have to be a $10,000 mic. You can do that now with software and in EQs yeah. and things like that. So I, that's one thing I would suggest, like just really tweaking your audio quality with some of the stuff that's out there that's even free. Like there's things like Voice Meter Banana that's free that I recently discovered through Joe Roop, who runs the Fringe FM. Give him a shout out because he turned me on to that. And it, it does kind of all this kind of stuff and mix minus that you can do to make it sound like real radio. So that's one tip I would give. Um, I, I think your tips are great, too. Like, you know. I always say too, Rob, listen to other people. You know what I mean? Like I listen to a lot of other shows that I kind of admire and I'll listen to what they're doing and I'll steal from them. Not necessarily the topics and things, but like how they do it. How do they segue into a, into a break? You know what I mean? How do they, in, how, a big problem that I think a lot of podcasters have is the same intro every time. Hi, you know, this is me and this is my, you know, da, 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 and it's always kind of the same where other people will hook you at the top of the show. There's certain things that they do that I think listening to some of the great podcasters, I think will help you. So, mm-hmm. and radio. Well, people. and also, you know, there are tips, I think from, from kind of the, the leading hosts in the syndicated radio space too, that yeah, like, like you say, are very talented at teasing and, and getting people to stay, say listening right and it's not so much of an issue in podcasting because you're not dealing with typically you're not dealing with a commercial break um that's kind of the same as radio right where there's exit and you know there's like five minutes of ads and then then you have to come back into the content again and you have to really sell the show hard to keep those listeners from leaving during the break right so i think that's the one of the really big differences um but being able to sell your show, you know, into segments and being able to, you know, and, uh, you know, as I think about this show, I could certainly do a little bit better job of that. And I need to think about that as I sell basically, and this is a conceptual way of thinking about it, sell your content to your listener, right? Um, that's coming up in your, your show and making it sound compelling and, and something that uh, the listener will want to stick around to or continue listening, especially in a podcast. I think it's important and it's something that I'm not sure that there's a lot of thought uh, in the podcasting space given to that as much as it probably should be. Alex, you know, any thoughts on, on that of selling the content of your show 
Uh, yeah, I think it's important, but uh, you know, it's different when you're doing podcasting and radios because, like, you were mentioning the breaks and stuff, and you got to kind of keep them hanging around for the break, so you're selling the next segment that's like 15 minute chunks. You don't really have to do that in a podcast because they're usually there for a long haul. It's at least 30 minutes, not always, but or an hour. Some some of them are three hours. You oh, know? Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit different, but I don't know. Like I think the the barriers are being broken because you have so many people that are in radio doing podcasting, and now podcasts are going to radio. So I, I it's 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 all morphing, Rob. Like so some of the t- the things that radio you know said, oh this you have to do this are falling away and some of the stuff that podcasters were like, you know, doing that was like the standard stuff don't really matter as much. So it's changing. I think it's changing. And a part of that's because of, uh, platforms like Spreaker and stuff. I mean, we can now do interviews, you know, live like radio. I, so I don't know if you call, is it a, po- I, I, I hate to always do this to people, but is it a podcast? I mean, I'm like live talk. I'm live. You know, it's not an on-demand show. You can get it on-demand, but I'm taking calls. Uh, you know, it's it's live. People are in the chat. So it's, isn't it radio? What's the difference? Well, and, yeah, and I think as you really think about it, um, is what makes a podcast a podcast? Is it the content or is it how it's distributed? Uh, you know, I think that's been a issue that the lots of people in the podcasting space have wrestled with is that, you know, what is the difference between what we're doing here and radio when it comes right down to it? I think that there's some format differences, but that's more of a content issue and there's definitely a distribution difference. Uh, And so you can point to those two things as I think common threads in the distinction between radio and podcasting. Um, But at the end of the day, it's spoken word content, uh, which is very similar to radio. So I think it's open to interpretation of what um, people want to perceive podcasting to be. And I, you know, I think it's evolving and changing and, and I think that the industry is evolving a little bit away from the download part. Anyway, I think the, as you think about Spotify and Pandora and some of these other platforms that are known to be streaming platforms, I think the industry and the podcasting definition uh, I think is starting to evolve away from the download with that. Maybe it, we become more like online radio at some point. Um, I don't know. It, I think it's, that was my point. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's definitely, definitely an evolution, but Alex, uh, we've got the podcast calendar, a speaker event calendar, which is, hasn't changed a lot. It's, you know, the, the rain summit, uh, podcast business summit is coming up. Uh, March 5th in uh, New York City. If you want to check that out, go to podcastbusinesssummit.com. The Podfest Multimedia Expo in Orlando is also coming up um, March 7th through the 9th. So those two events are bumping up against each other. Um, That's down in Orlando. If you want to check that one out, go to podfestexpo.com. I will be at that event uh, in Orlando um, just in a few short weeks. And then after that is the NEB show in uh april and that's april 6th through the 11th in las vegas and uh you can find us there as well at com. but uh alex thanks for joining me again on the show i'm gonna pull thank in, you rob um, francesco into the you program bet. here so Sounds thank good. you so much thank you brother let's go ahead and join uh, the, my conversation well i'm joined again on the speaker live show uh, by francesco bascieri who's the president and co-founder of voxnest uh, that operates uh, speaker uh welcome back to the show francesco uh thank you very much rob uh, it's a pleasure to be here thank you very much for having me yeah it's 
been, I don't know, it's been probably over a year since you've been on the on the Spreaker Live show. It's great to have you back on here. I know there's been a lot of a lot of developments and a lot of work behind the scenes that's been going on with the Spreaker team and and now, you know, Vox Nest as well. But this is the Spreaker Live show, so I thought we, we, we'd really focus in on what's happening on, on Spreaker as it relates to uh, the technology and the opportunity of dynamic ad insertion and what we're trying to do with the company to kind of lead that into a, a, a new phase of driving some additional economic benefit to podcasters um, in a much larger way across um, more numbers of shows than what's been typically done up to today. But Francesco, what's your thoughts on where we are um, in that process as far as your thinking of, are we still at kind of the beginning stages of dynamic ad insertion? And what's your thought, you know, where we are today? Um, the thing is, people keep confusing dynamic ad insertion as a pure technology with uh, what other people are doing with it, uh, mm-hmm. which, which which is kind of weird because at the end of the day, dynamic ad insertion is a great technology, and most of the companies in podcasting are already using it, even though podcasters or, or listeners may not figure it. So to make it simple, dynamic ad insertion is just the ability to, to create a, a file which is composed of different stitched parts. Uh, so instead of having a file that's uh, created that at the beginning of time and always served equal, basically a new file can be created on the fly whenever somebody wants to download it by stitching together different segments to create a, a file that is unique to the to the listeners consuming it. Now, the point is, what are these segments? And usually some of these segments are advertising. And and this is what opens the debate, right? Because a lot of companies are creating the impression that dynamic insertion is a synonym with uh, programmatic advertising, which is a whole different thing. And by the way, programmatic advertising also has this bad name in the market that it's synonymous with bad creatives, which really it is not. So uh, I think my first goal would be in general, to try and, and separate in the minds of people the technology that's just a tool from the way that, that companies and, and podcasters use this technology, that's a creative process, and probably that's what needs fine-tuning in the market. Uh, in terms of availability of dynamic impression, there are two types of dynamic insertion, uh, real-time and non-real-time. So basically, I'm trying to talk about real-time dynamic insertion, which is the technology that really delivers a, a unique file, potentially a unique-in-the-world file to each single listener. Mm-hmm. And that's a very powerful piece of technology uh, because it allows, first of all, podcasters to do important things like update their show and their message potentially months after they've published it. Let's say that uh, you included in your show some kind of reminder, uh, something, even a promotional message for another show that you have or a commercial product, but what happens is that kind of information becomes stale. Uh, So unless you go edit the episode and you re-upload it and potentially you do this every other week, all the information that is kind of timely sensitive in an, in an episode will remain there forever. Uh, however, by using uh, this technology, you can very easily change in bulk all this information in all your episodes with just a click of a button. And that's what makes it very powerful. Uh, of course, the, the next extension is, okay, how do I 
connect this capability to some sort of scheduling uh, mechanism, to some sort of tools, software tools that allows me to program different things. Well, it, it turns out that these uh, software pieces already exist. They are called ad servers, and they basically allow you to create campaigns. And the campaign is nothing more than uh, a piece of creative audio that's connected to some particular uh, piece of content, so an episode with some rules. And these rules may maybe uh, only include this piece of audio if the the person listening to the episode is using uh, an Android device and not if they're using an iPhone device, only if the person listening to the audio is uh, listening from a particular state, city, or, or, or even zip address, and all these kind of rules. And th by the way, the same rules also apply to content, so you can target a vast majority, uh, a vast inventory and say, hey, only include this uh, piece of audio if the, the content is about business and finance. So this is basically what an ad server does and allows you to, to create rules again against this dynamic insertion. But the ad server knows nothing about the type of content uh, of, of advertising that you want to insert. Uh, and by the way, podcasters would in any case need to create these rules and this content themselves. So the third piece of technology that most of the companies are working with is what's called programmatic advertising. That's at the end of the day is just a set of technologies that connect buyers of media with uh, publishers and sellers of media uh, without the need of um, having phone calls or human interaction. Mm -hmm. And the connection happens in, in uh, real time in a matter of milliseconds of every time some piece of content is requested. So the third piece is we connect this ad server to uh, somebody who potentially is willing to buy my inventory and they deliver the, the advertising creative to be inserted into the media. There's nothing about the content, nothing about bad creatives, nothing about bad advertising that's been going on so far. The only bad part is whatever file somebody gives me to be inserted in my podcast that can potentially ruin the experience or not be perfectly targeted to, to the listeners or to my audience. And that's where I need and uh, I believe and, and I believe you, you do the same, that the industry needs to evolve and needs to do much better. Because the truth is that today, since podcasting is still uh, a small market, the type of, of stuff that gets inserted is not necessarily good for uh, good content for podcasts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you you raise a good point, Francesco, that the, the technology of dynamic ad insertion can be used in a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to be used for just inserting radio-like advertising spots. I mean, uh, I've worked with dynamic ad insertion technology to insert, uh, you know, like other show promos or cross-promotional opportunities or even like an ID, um, you know, like a brand ID at the beginning of a podcast or something. So. It, it can be utilized for content as well. I mean, true content, not advertising content as well. So, so I think um, you're exactly right. I think dynamic ad insertion has been kind of like um, linked up with this programmatic um, stuff because it's not as pure as like maybe a hostry type of creative content. And I think that's where the the conversation kind of 
breaks apart is is that once you start talking about um, better creative and you start talking about creating spot reads that are that sound a little bit more friendly to what people expect in a host read, the dynamic insertion technology, which in you know, many podcasts out there that are doing this, that are combining those two together, the listener can't tell that there's dynamic ad insertion being utilized no. in the program. And I think that's where we need to get to. Actually, I mean, the first customers of dynamic ad insertion were shows making host-read advertisements. Right. All the shows that have some kind of evergreen content, uh, they were leaving money on the table with stale ads. Right. Uh, advertisers usually pay host reads on, or used to, pay host reads on the basis of the number of downloads that a show made in the first 30, 30 days after its uh, published date. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's also one of, one of the reasons why it's so common to do republishes in the RSS feed with all the episodes at some point uh, during the life of a show. But no matter what, I mean, after the 30, 30 days have elapsed, nobody's going to pay you for all the listens or downloads that your show makes. So, right. And when you have a, an archive of a couple of hundreds of episodes, all these plays and, and downloads can be sizable. Potentially, for some shows, the plays that they make in uh, in the archive add up and, and are more than the total amount of plays that they make on a new episode in the first few days after launch. So how do you solve this problem? Well, the manual way would be to go back and edit all the shows and delete the ads that were baked into the content. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, what happens is if a new advertiser comes aboard and they want maybe to buy all, all your old inventory. Well, you have to go back, edit all the shows again, and insert a new baked-in ad. So, again, this is not really feasible for 200-plus episodes. No, That's why dynamic insertion first was, was used by people who had this problem, so podcast networks. So it's been used in this market for, I don't know, at least six or seven years, probably more. Uh, some pioneers, of course, did it way earlier than this. This type of use case, you don't really need real-time dynamic insertion. You're basically updating all the archive every once in a while. So a system that basically does this offline and re-renders the content with the new uh, segment. Again, offline is more than adequate. Mm-hmm. However, this concept naturally extends to real-time demand. So why don't you do dynamic insertion at the time of listening? Just, I mean... Another example where you're, you, you could make it useful for hosted advertisement. Maybe half of your audience on your show is male and maybe it's the other half is female. And you have two advertisers that want to be uh, at the same time within your show, but they, they are a bit skeptical and they don't want to buy all your advertising space because one is uh, for a female product and the other one is for a male product. Mm-hmm. What if you could be able to tell in real time if the person downloading the show is male or female and insert your host thread advertising target for, for that specific advertisers who want to advertise on, on, uh, on that demographic just at, at the time of, uh, of download. First of all, you would be able to sell all your, your reads uh, to two different advertisers, each of, of whom would, pay, would gladly pay much more than, than what they pay advertising on your whole show because they know that they are addressing and targeting their exact demographics target. So Mm -hmm. let's run some numbers. If an advertiser is willing to pay you $100 for all the listeners of your show, maybe 
hundred dollars per, per thousand listens, whatever. Maybe the same advertiser is willing to pay you hundred and fifty, so fifty percent more, just to reach the female audience and the same one, the other advertiser. So instead of uh, all of a sudden, instead of getting two hundred dollars because you're selling all your inventory to a single advertiser, you're getting three hundred, so fifty percent more because you're splitting the inventory equally between two different advertisers that are happy because they, they're reaching their own target. So dynamical insertion in real time opens all these possibilities. Basically, it's a win-win opportunity for both the publisher and the advertiser because on one side, the advertiser is uh, sure that they are reaching their uh, ideal demographic and willing to pay more. And the publisher eventually is, is getting higher CPMs and making more money because they do a better service. And that's where I think these markets need to go. Create more efficiency that can be split between the publisher and the advertiser. So as far as reaching that goal, though, that's going to require probably a little different creative than what we've had up to this point. And what's your thoughts on how we're going to get there on that, on on the creative side, getting the, the brands and the agencies and everybody to be thinking along the same lines um, so we can really effectively figure out how we're going to create creative that targets the audience that we're able to deliver with the technology. Look, ideally, what everybody would love these days is to have um, some, something that's read by the host of the podcast. But right. the truth is that this doesn't scale. This doesn't work for smaller shows because yeah. the, the manual amount of work uh, involved in the uh, checking that the host uh, even created a pre-recorded ad of the right type, uh, soliciting the host that are oh, sometimes they might be uh, not that in time when they, they return the, the creative for check and all these things involve time, which can basically cost money and makes it so this is not feasible for smaller shows. And these days, the industry puts a bar at, I don't know, Twenty-five to thirty thousand downloads per show. That's that's what most of uh, sales rep agencies are, are willing to represent from from the numbers up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for everybody else, that there's what you said, creatives made by an agency that gets inserted equally uh, and, and all the same creating in in a number of shows. Uh, how do we do this creative? Well. First of all, I'm, I'm not a content creator, so I advise with a grain of salt. But first thing that I believe is that people need to understand the intimacy and the nature of the medium first uh, and foremost. Somebody told me that podcasting, the way it sounds, it's like uh, this phone conversation at night that you're having with somebody, so there are no people shouting. It's uh, something that you have in your ears with your headsets and it's like kind of these soothing sounds that, that you immerse into. Uh, somebody also told me that this might be because of the proximity to the microphone, but whatever it is, creatives need to follow the same rule. You're used to have creatives in, in radio and radio, by the way, is a medium that a lot of people assume it's used as a background. So uh, you're driving, but you're probably not paying your full attention or at some point just uh, wandering within your own thoughts. Radio creatives are made at a higher volume than the content with the purpose of waking you up. 
Hmm. And they usually they usually involve music, they usually involve jingles or something that's easy to remember, but frankly speaking, it's very annoying if you're in a context where you're paying a lot of attention and you're very engaged with the content. So first of all, creatives need to be different. They need to be probably much simpler. Uh, they need to be delivered with a tone of voice and uh, a calm that resembles the content that you're listening to. This is probably the lowest bar possible. But if you if we start doing this, having a plain voice, reading an ad that doesn't sound pushy or... or uh, jingly or whatever the word is, or loud, this, right? Yeah, or loud. <laughs> this will this will work. Also, a lot of things can can be done to maximize this. Potentially, nobody says that you you should have only one creative, right? So, for a specific campaign, you could have three or four different creatives, and the technology platform could associate the the creative that best fit a particular piece of content. For example, matching a male talent with a male host or a female talent with a female host, uh, which, again, uh, speak since the audience is already listening to a female voice, it might be better to, um, to have a creative read by a female voice or going even deeper and having, I don't know, maybe a number of, uh, a limited number of voice profiles that you can match uh, with the creative itself. So the whole point is that it's true that it's not possible to have a thousand different host red advertising, each inserted in its own show, but it's definitely possible to have 10 different versions of the same creative and having some piece of technology that matches the best creative uh, for a particular type of content. And the effectiveness of, of this creative can be very, very close to the host endorsement. We will lose the part of trust uh, where we have the host of the show doing the endorsement themselves, this is true, but we will keep the experience, the listening experience for, for people uh, listening to the content there, so it would not be perceived as uh, obtrusive. People will, will be paying their full attention because they are listening to spoken word content, and if you have a compelling message, they will react to it. This is what I believe. Well, and also, I mean, a lot of hosts um, of podcasts may not be skilled at being able to effectively deliver an, an advertising or commercial message either. So, you know, you have this extra skill set that, that is kind of required to be able to, to deliver a proper, you know, endorsement also. It's not something that you're born with that skill. So it does get me wondering and thinking aloud about the abundance of voiceover artists that exist in the market today that have been supporting radio for many years. And those folks just need to be maybe, I don't know if retrained is the right word for it, but maybe there needs to be some education that um, is given to those folks or context that they need to understand how they need to deliver these messages when they're being used for a podcast. And it does kind of raise that question. Is there any, I mean, have you done any thinking on, on that and how we kind of get there? And because there does appear to be a relationship between those folks and the ad agencies. So first of all, I mean, the easiest way for these guys to, to retrain themselves will be listening to a few podcasts and right. get an idea of uh, how to best deliver a message that blends into these different types of content. These guys are pros, so uh, I think they would come up with their own idea on how to 
to make it the best possible sounding experience very quickly. Uh, then, uh, well, I would love to start working with, with some of these guys and with the agencies to come up with some best practices and ideas for, for delivering a great um, talent-led podcast advert. Actually, we go the way to, to say that it's one of the goals that I've set for our company in the near future to become experts as uh, counseling and even creating at some point this type of adverse to be inserted into podcasts. Because if we are not thinking ab uh, about this, probably not many people uh, and not many companies will be. If we, and by we, I mean I, all the companies in the space mm -hmm. right now. So I, I really believe it, it's our responsibility to make it so that uh, the space really develops and, and we portray the best practices to make this successful for everybody. Otherwise, it's just a race to the bottom, like we've seen in uh, streaming radio where the CPMs are very, very low. I, I believe we have the opportunity to uh, create a marketplace where the CPMs will be high and interesting for the publishers, but in order for this to happen, we need to deliver results for the advertisers. And the best way to, to do this is not to upset or, or annoy the, the listeners. Mm -hmm. another, another interesting thing, I mean, like just, just talking randomly here about all this, the stuff that I've seen in this market, uh, it's surprising, but one of the many reasons why podcast advertising is effective Uh, is the fact that it's very hard to skip advertising in podcasts because most of the time you have your phone in your pocket or you're listening to something. So if the advert is short enough, let's say 30 seconds, it's actually a worse experience to get the phone out of your pocket and try to skip uh, advertising itself. It's true that you have the skip 30 seconds button in your, uh, in your player, However, you are going to push this four or five seconds after the uh, uh, advert has started, so you will probably jump into the content and lose the uh, five seconds of the beginning of the, the following segments, and then you have to go back probably 10 seconds or 15 seconds. So at the end of the day, you will uh, you will uh, use more time just doing all these back and forth, just not to to listen to a 30 second set, and, and very few people do it. So. The other short trick is keep your ads brief. It doesn't really need to be a 60-second ad. Uh, and if you're just using voice and describing something, there's plenty of stuff that can be said in 30 seconds or less. Mm -hmm. And this is where I think the industry is going. So you think it's going to be even moving down to more 15 seconds, you think? Or do you think 30 is going to be where we land for the most value? Well, the point is, no such thing as a format that's needed here. They can be 17 seconds or 23 for whatever that's that true. means, as long as they're, they're short, right? The, the nice thing about on-demand and all this, uh, this new media is that there are no constraints, no hard constraints. Mm -hmm. Actually, thinking of 15 seconds and 30 seconds brings some people to the conclusion that they can reuse the same ads for radio and for podcasting. So I would say, no, 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 no. Let's, <laughs> let's develop a whole different standard so that we have, uh, prevent this from happening. Let's right. develop a 23 seconds ads format. So it's unique to podcasting. Well, there's got to be some, some research that can be done, right, of how long people are willing to listen 
to a podcast uh, ad, right? And if it turns out to be 25 seconds or 22 seconds, then that maybe that's what we pick. <laughs> yeah, again, we can come up with some research. Right. <laughs> as long yeah. as we bring the industry to uh, really start uh, thinking of uh, podcasting with dynamic insertion, programmatic as a first-class citizen and not just as an extension of radio ads, I've, I've, I've said it. This is the, the, the thing that's uh, plaguing the system right now. That the, the reason why most people are skeptical about programmatic because today agencies that maybe because they are lazy or, or maybe because there's actually not, not a lot of budget, they basically treat this inventory as an extension of something that they have already sold as a campaign on other type of media, whether it's traditional radio or whether it's streaming radio, Pandora, yeah. for instance. If you, well, if you think about it, the the ads you listen on Pandora and on the other streaming services are the same exact ads that you listen on radio. Uh, again, I also think one could do much better here because I don't really like these loud ads interrupting what I'm listening to a jazz station or so, or a classic music station. Right. I, I would really like to murder somebody. Uh, <laughs> however. Uh, I think it would be okay if the ads, uh, if there were ads on a classical music stations, but they were played with a softer tone of voice and, and uh, with, with somebody who at least seems respectful of my listening experience. Again, so what you're I saying is that these new types of format of, of spots could be repurposed back into online streaming music platforms as well, and it on, might be a better experience over there, right? On, on some. I mean, on the... Right. Um, at least on the channels where uh, louder ads could be too disruptive, classic and jazz, definitely uh, the problem that we see today is more with podcasting yeah. because of the fact that people are actually, actually paying attention and these things are too annoying when you're like paying your full attention. And there's also sometimes like these problems with volume and, and loudness and stuff. And I mean, th these things are annoying. However, I'm also pragmatic, and I think uh, this is part of the natural evolution of a medium. Uh, so at the beginning, everybody needs to understand that, of course, there are some glitches, but please look at, at the vision, look at the big picture. This is just a, a transition period where we need to show that to all sides that there's potential. We need to show to the publisher that there's potential to make money and to the advertiser that this is a market that they can buy, and then we can afford to become more and more picky. Um, we'll invest time and effort in, in educating uh, both parties and doing this. Of course, this is our business, so we need to be doing this. But I, I hope that everybody understands that this is going to be a process and not, not going to happen tomorrow. I mean, so as you put your, your thinking ahead cap on, what do you think that that process of making this change looks like? I mean, what do we from a proactive standpoint, if you were telling the industry how you would want to go about making this shift, how would you think it might work? Well, I believe there needs to be uh, a few tests with great results, mm -hmm. and the tests need to be done on the agency and customer side. So we need to, to coach and, and manage the agency so that uh, some kind of creative and some kind of targeting that we know it's going to work is um, used by them and sold to a customer and, and show these customers that these type of ads can be as effective 
as the host read endorsements. Mm -hmm. And uh, if they are, they will start buying more and more because at the end of the day, I mean, the, the process of making a creative is not that expensive when you take a look at the overall budget of a campaign. It's just the, the fact that it doesn't need to be rushed and it needs to be well thought. Mm -hmm. But if, if the ROI is much better, at the end of, uh, of the day, is a big win for everybody. So on one side, campaigns will start to appear more and more. And on the other side, we also need to uh, start penalizing somehow campaigns that do not meet the standard. Uh, right now, we nobody can afford to be too picky in terms of advertising they're carrying on board. But when the new inventory comes aboard, then we need to put, start putting some kind of stigma on the bad ads. Uh, right now, what, what a lot of people are doing in the industry, which, uh, frankly speaking, I don't like, they are putting the stigma on the technology, uh, which is not the culprit here. Actually, yeah. the technology has the potential to increase revenue and profits for all the actors involved. Uh, there's just one way that the podcasting market is going to grow beyond $1 billion in, in uh, the next few years, and that's if we can unlock all the inventory that's available. Mm -hmm. uh, today we're only unlocking probably less than than 50% of the inventory available and that's what's generated by just 2% of shows uh, because it's very it's very driven by the hits this market however the more content gets into the market the more the inventory will be driven by the the medium sized shows and the long tail and today there's no way to monetize this effectively so at some point we'll if we don't embrace this technology will hit the ceiling and and the, the market will not grow anymore and you know what happens when the market stops growing uh, lots of people lose interest and and then eventually the cpm will go down and uh, mm -hmm. it's all like this so we need to keep growing this market and in order to do this we need to unlock the potential of the, the medium shows and small shows and in order to do this, we need to be ready to embrace programmatic because there is no way that uh, a salesperson can represent uh, a show by sending emails, making phone calls, and doing manual air checks. It needs to be automated. Right, and also those big shows need to be fully embracing of this technology too. I mean, because a lot of them are still doing the baked-in ads. So so that's well, the other part of it too. I mean, the whole spectrum needs to be embracing this for us to achieve, like you said, those those kind of revenue goals that the industry has. You know, that billion-dollar mark is going to take some audio inventory out there for us to uh, – you know, run ads against for it to grow. If I, so, yeah. most of the shows are sold out and they sell right. on a yearly basis, right? So, and I'm assuming they sell for good CPMs, but they're leaving money on the table. So yeah. instead of selling their whole inventory to one advertiser for a month for $25 CPM, they could somehow split their inventory in two mm -hmm. and sell again, they're all inventory to two different parties for $35 CPMs because they're selling their Android listens to one guy and their iOS listens to another guy or, I don't know, their California listens to one guy and their, the rest of the country listens to another guy. At the end of the day, yeah. uh, I believe they're, they're, in some cases, some of these shows are leaving uh, on the table uh, an extra 50% of their potential revenue, which 
is nonsense just because they're not ready to use a technology or, or do some extra work to traffic more advertiser on the same um, on the same show with with different priorities and different goals I mean a lot of the advertising market has been living in the US um, around podcasting uh, what's your thoughts on the the expansion of this to other countries around the world I, I know more countries are are getting engaged in podcast advertising around the world but what's your vision of uh, the direction that that's going right now and how quickly is that going to expand so there's there's something interesting here happening. So when it comes to advertising, most of the stuff actually starts in the U.S. and then spreads pretty quickly in the rest of the world. The dynamics will be the same. CPMs will vary depending on the of the wealth of uh, the relative wealth of each single country, but the dynamics will, will be the same. The interesting part is the the media adoption by itself. So. Are people outside the U.S. or in some specific countries going to listen to podcasts mm -hmm. as much as we are in the U.S.? This is the, the hardest question. Historically, I have looked at this taking as a proxy and as a benchmark the talk radio market. So if you look at the radio market in general and the, the talk radio market, uh, the U.S. in the talk radio is more than half of the worldwide market. So... U.S. is like 52%. All other countries combined are 48% of the talk radio market worldwide, with Germany and the U.K. taking um, the only significant pieces of like 6 or 7% and 1% and 2 or 3% the other, and everybody else is like around or below 2%, 1%, mm 0.5%. -hmm. So it, it's very fragmented. However, this is my big however, uh, the podcasting market in the U.S., demographically speaking, today is very different from the talk radio market. Uh, the podcasting market is uh, younger. Uh, it's going to skew more and more female. Uh, it's more affluent uh, compared to the to the talk radio market, which is older, still slightly more uh, male skewed. I would say equally distributed across country and, and not uh, heavily heavily centered around the coast like it's in the in the podcasting market. And by the way, uh, the revenues of the talk radio segment have been pretty steady for the last 10 years or something. So all the growth that we see in podcasting in terms of revenue is coming from other budgets or different budgets. As of uh, until today, when the, this new research by... Uh, Magellan came out I and mean, there was really no overlap between podcast advertisers and radio advertisers. Now we see Geico popping up uh, on both lists. Mm -hmm. So the big question mark here is since the, the demographic is different, maybe uh, the global distribution and the global adoption is going to be different from the talk radio market. So maybe it's not going to be true that the US will by itself represent more than half of the market, because maybe uh, all of a sudden people in China or in, or in India or in Brazil will discover podcasting and it will become a thing, and so this might become relevant markets. But the truth is, I, I don't know. The only thing that I know for sure is that where there is going to be audience, the market will find a way to monetize it, and the, the way that it will find is uh, programmatic advertising. More, more than uh, direct sales or host-level advertising. Because 
as of today, uh, even if you go to the second and third markets for broadcasting, like the UK and Australia today, when the shows that are are big there are overall small. So just a bunch of them can support the economics for live reads. Uh, and they're smaller because the population is smaller. Mm-hmm. I mean, there uh, there is a, a good number of Australian shows. Some are successful, but there's only, what, like 25 million people in Australia, something like that. So the the market is not huge. Uh, so at some well, I point, mean, in a lot of those those countries, they're listening to a lot of content coming out of the United States, too. So... Um, Which, by the way, if if it has baked in ads, it's uh, wasted opportunities because right. um, people in Australia are going to buy U.S. Uh, mattresses, for instance. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also I did uh, see some Shareveer research that came out uh, last year, 2018, um, that was showing that uh, audience growth in Canada is actually outpacing the U.S. right now. I'm not sure that that may fit right into what you were just saying, Francesco, about how how the demographics uh, may be different um, than talk radio as an index against uh, the adoption potential of other countries of this medium. We'll see. Again, Canada is uh, is great. Uh, it, actually, when when people do analysis, they tend to aggregate the U.S. and Canada in a single bucket, which right. I've learned it's not not actually. Uh, totally correct. No, I don't think so. Uh, so if, yeah. But if we look at Canada as as a as its as a known country, it's still a small market, and uh, it's also uh, has linguistic differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, so even if there's a probably the, the minority of people speak French, if, if I'm not mistaken, right. but it's uh, it's significant. And uh, at the end of the day, I mean, if we only restrict it to one of the two languages. It's hard for shows to become big in Canada and Canada only, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if right. you if you want to sell libraries for a show that's big in Canada, there are not that many opportunities. Yeah. So even Canada will have to to find a way to do dynamic insertion and, and grow this market in programmatic in a programmatic way rather than in a standard way. Yeah, and and shows that are being produced in Canada and some of these other countries need to think about building audience in the U.S. and some you know other countries around the world, not just in their own local countries. Uh, that's what's really built the podcasting space, I think, in the U.S. is and the content's been appealing outside of this country as well. It's it's true, even though coming from a a country where the uh, primary language is another one and. Yeah. Uh, in a territory in a continent where we have like 25 or 30 different languages, I believe that at some point, I mean, all these local markets would be would be sizable and would be an interesting market. I I don't see why there cannot be a, of course, on a smaller scale, but some kind of media company like Gimlet or or Wondery or Stuff Media in Italy, for example. If people start listening to shows and podcasts there, it's uh, and it would be hard for people in the U.S. to listen to Italian content. I guess. Yeah, that's true. Unless they're Italian Americans that happen to speak Italian, so that yeah. that happens as well. But 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 you're right. It's it's a minority market here in the U.S. That's for sure. Hey, it was great to talk about the whole dynamic ad insertion stuff. But I wanted to mention some exciting news that we just uh, announced um, just this week adding the audio clip editing to the Spreaker Studio for iOS. That's exciting news, Francesco. What I mean, what kind of prompted the, the company to move in that direction and add audio editing to 
to uh, the speaker studio on iOS? So it's been a few months in in, um, in the works. Uh, we have decided uh, probably around the, the beginning of fall last year to uh, dedicate uh, a small but but very uh, good and, and aggressive and dedicated team to the uh, growth of our studio application. We believe it's uh, some some kind of, uh, of unique things that we as Spreaker had. It had been almost a year that we hadn't uh, put a lot of uh, of effort in creating new tools and uh, and stuff around those. But we received a lot of feedback. We analyzed everything. So what we have done is we have created a roadmap to evolve uh, the studio, the mobile studio application, and and uh, try and bring it where our audience wants. Uh, we're starting from one of the two platforms, uh, iOS. And the reason why is I, I believe it's easier for us to get uh, feedback from uh, the, the U.S. audience, which is really what we're looking at at, at the stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our U.S. audience is most mostly on iOS these days rather than Android. Even, even though the biggest chunk of users of the studio application is actually on Android for ourselves. But it's international users. The the goal, of course, is to keep the two applications aligned and and develop the the same features at, uh, on both uh, on both apps. But I also think it makes a lot of sense to start somewhere because uh, we can iterate faster and and add more ideas and get to a point where we maybe we delete and cancel some of these ideas because they're not really working and we only port to the other platform just the stuff that's working. So we're also, uh, I'm actually very proud of this uh, new development because it's something we always thought that we were eventually going to do and never actually had the time or the resources to stop and, and put it on. Uh, we're curious and, and actually measuring uh, the response from um, our user community, but at the same time, we're already working on the next iteration of the app that will be a wholly new navigation system and wholly new workflow. This would see the light probably in a couple of months. It's a big rework of the application itself. Uh, so please, the best thing that, that you guys can do is uh, test the app and give us feedback if we're going in the right direction or not, and we'll iterate. So what's the best way for a, a speaker user to get feedback on that? I think the iTunes the, the iTunes App Store is the best way to, to give feedback on an app in general. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's exciting to see this happen, and I'm sure you know, there's going to be effort put into making that available on Android probably at some point. And what's your thought on the, the, the whole speaker studio for desktop at this point? What's your thinking on, on that? Do you see desktop becoming... Uh, more and more relevant as time goes, or more and more less relevant as time goes by. Well, I, I don't know. Again, we measure desktop is uh, by far the number one source of creation for shows that do not pub fade on our platform. To be right. honest, I mean, a lot of content created in mobility, then uh, it turns out to be just tests uh, and, and this kind of stuff. Well. The users who, who keep using the platform and, and uh, do shows that that last eventually tend to migrate to the the desktop version. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see I see the the two apps as complementary though, as uh, we want to bring all the apps uh, uh, 
and put them together in a way that they are more integrated. So you can potentially uh, start to work on uh, one mobile app and continue to continue on the desktop app and vice versa and all these kind of things. At the end of the day, we want to support our content creators uh, with with whatever workflow they they think is uh, mm-hmm. is important. Uh, mobile is all about convenience, of course, because you always have your phone in your pocket. It's very hard to have your computer and your laptop in your pocket, even though somebody might might try and do that. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I think there's been some effort at that. <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, well, I'm not sure that it's it's entirely worked out very well, but uh, I think they've gotten close with like the yeah. Surface tablet, but that's about as close <laughs> as it's gotten. I wouldn't say that that's pocketable. <laughs> no, probably not. And of course, due to the computing resources and the real estate screen, there are some functions that will only be available on uh, the desktop version and right. would not make a lot of sense on the mobile version. That's why I see the two things as complementary. Well, Francesco, thank you so much for joining me on the Speaker Live Show again. We've we, we've taken up, um, you know, we basically took most of the shows. Awesome! It's been fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, thank you for joining me. And um, so, how can a listener find you? I know you're on Twitter, but uh, mm-hmm. do you want to give out any contact information? Well, tweet me directly. I I'm not that probably the fastest person to get back on Twitter, but I usually get back to everybody and then we can set something up. So I'm um, the Basque, T-H-E-B-A-S-K on Twitter. Just hit me up on Twitter if you want to uh, to know something or just to have a chat. Awesome. All right, Francesco, thanks. Thank you very much, Rob. Well, that's going to wrap up the Speaker Live show for this week. And I appreciate you spending time with us. Um, lots of time this week. We went a, a little longer than a normal episode. so But it's exciting to, to have you with us if you're still listening here. And um, please uh, let your friends know about the Speaker Live show and that we're talking about cutting-edge podcasting topics and trying to bring you uh, you know some insights into what's happening in the podcasting space. And uh like I said, I appreciate you tuning in. And if you want to reach out to me, give me any feedback or comments, you can send it to rob at Spreaker.com. And more than happy to do that. And we'll be uh, back with you next week, uh, next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern for the Spreaker Live Show. And hope you have a terrific rest of your week. 